I want you to open your Bibles today to uh, the Gospel of John. We're in the 12th chapter, beginning in verse 27. Boy, it's just hard to know where to start and where to stop in the Gospel of John because all of it is so, so connected. The last uh, week in the life of Jesus takes up half of the Gospel of John, whereas the other Gospels focus a lot on the the early ministry of Jesus, most of the Gospel of John deals with the last week in his life. And so uh, uh, Jesus is speaking, and he says in verse 27, Now is my soul troubled. This just lets us know something of the heaviness, the weight you know, we read the story about the crucifixion and about Jesus coming to that last uh, uh, event in his life before his crucifixion, his resurrection, and we just don't often feel the, the heaviness of it. But he knew from the day before he even came, Jesus knew that he had come to this earth to suffer and to die for sinners. He said to his disciples three different times along the way in their ministry, he said, the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem, and there he will be cruelly treated, and he'll be arrested, and he'll be killed, but he'll rise from the dead. And all this time, he knew what was coming, and now as it gets closer and closer and closer, and he knows this is the last trip he'll make into Jerusalem before his crucifixion. And he comes into the city, we've uh, talked about that earlier this, uh, in this study, but he comes into the city, and, uh, and then it says, Now my soul is troubled. And the word troubled here, it's a, it's a word that means to like boiling water. It's, a, it's like uh, being stirred up, being, being uh, seriously uh, under pressure. And he said, My soul is troubled. But what shall I say? So what do I say? Shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? And do you know Jesus could have said that? The Bible tells us that even when he was on the cross, he could have called legions, ten legions of angels to come and rescue him. But he did not do that. Aren't you thankful that he didn't? They said of him, this man saved others. Can't he save himself? No, he couldn't save himself and save us at the same time. He came to die for you and for me. This every night in Bible school this last week, this was just the emphasis to these boys and girls that Jesus came to die for sinners. He came to take our place. We had a debt that we couldn't pay. It would have taken us all of eternity, and we still couldn't have paid it. We could have spent eternity in hell, and our debt would have never been paid. But he came, and he paid a debt that he didn't owe. The Bible says that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us in order that we might become the righteousness of of God, which is in Christ. What an amazing transfer. What an amazing transfer. And so 
Jesus is troubled. They, this, the cross is just in view ahead of him, just a day or two away. He knows what's happening. And he said, so what, what should I say? Father, should I say, save me from this? Should I say, rescue me, get me out of this, so I don't have to go through this? And there's certainly no doubt that in his humanity, he did shrink back from the shame and the agony of the cross, as anybody would. There's no way that he could look forward to, to, to the pain. And yet he looked beyond that pain. And the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. What joy, what joy could there be? You say, well, for, for the joy that was ahead of him, he went through this horrible agony of the cross. What joy. Well, do you know that you are part of that joy? The joy for Jesus was in purchasing his bride, laying his life down for sinners so that we might know him and experience his love and live with him, him and us, and live with him forever. That's the joy that was set before him. So he said, what will I say? Save me from this hour? No. For, but for this purpose, I've come to this hour. That's why I've come. And he said, Father, glorify your name. You know that Jesus lived his whole life for that one purpose, the glory of God. And do you know that's your purpose in life? Uh, I think it was the Westminster Catechism that said, what is the chief end of man? What is it? What, what, what are, why are we here? What is our purpose? And the answer was given, it is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's what God wants in your life. It's what He wants in my life, for me to glorify Him and how do I glorify God? It is by receiving what Jesus has done for me. To acknowledge him, to recognize my sinfulness and his sacrifice, put my trust in him, and that brings him much glory. So he said, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. This is the third time that actually a physical voice came from heaven at the baptism and... Uh, and at the uh, transfiguration, a voice came from heaven, and God the Father said, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. I've glorified my name, and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that stood there, they heard the, the voice. They heard the sound, and some of them said, well, it thundered. They said there's some kind of natural explanation for what we heard. And then some said, no, there's a supernatural explanation. Some said, no, an angel has spoken to him. And then Jesus said, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Jesus already knew who he was, what he had come for, what he was going to do. And he knew he was going to rise from the dead. It's amazing when you really know who you are. 
you can uh, you don't have anything to defend you don't have anything to protect you don't have anything to project you can just be who God wants you to be I think it's amazing when Jesus was at the last supper with his disciples the Bible says and Jesus knowing where he had come from and knowing where he was going that is he knew fully who he was what did he do well, for most of us, if we knew who we were and knew what we were doing, we would want to take a throne or something like that. But Jesus, it said, knowing who he was, knowing where he'd come from, where he was going, he took a towel and a basin and he began to wash the feet of his disciples. It's fascinating. One reason that we have trouble humbling ourselves before others is because we're so insecure about who we are in Christ. Maybe the greatest thing you and I ever need to learn is who we are in Christ, our identity in him. And so Jesus said, uh, uh, this voice came for your sake, not mine. Then he says, now is the judgment of this world. The judgment that is coming on this world has come now. And now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Who is the ruler of this world? You say, well, it's God, obviously. Well, God created the world, but in the Garden of Eden, he had given to Adam the, the ownership of the, of the whole world. And when Adam sinned and was deceived, he transferred that ownership to Satan. And so the Bible refers to Satan as the prince of the power of the air, as the ruler of this world. And somehow or another, in fact, during the temptation, Satan said to Jesus, if you will bow down and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. Indicated it was his to give. Now, obviously, under the sovereignty of God, God owned it all, but legally, Satan had it. And when Jesus came, he came to take back that which had been deceptively stolen or given from Adam to Satan. And you see, every person whoever sinned, was under the judgment of death. And they did die. But for Satan to kill an innocent person would cause the forfeiture. I I don't even want to go down that rabbit hole right now. I'll just say... The Bible says that if the rulers of this world had known what the result of the crucifixion and resurrection would be, they would have never put Jesus to death. Because by his death, he regained all and even more than Adam had lost. Romans chapter 5, 6, and again, uh, I'm just wanting to go off in about a bunch of tangents right here, but I better not. But he said, now 
the ruler of this world is cast out. He's cast down. He's defeated. And I want you to know that we do have, I mean, Satan is real. The devil is real. There's no doubt about it. And the devil is powerful, but he is defeated. He does not have any authority over you or me unless I give him that authority through his deceptive lies. He has the power to lie to me. And if I believe a lie, in a sense, I just move right into his area. But if I believe the truth, then he has no authority of any kind over my life. So he said, now will the ruler of this world be cast out? And I, Jesus is still speaking, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all to myself. And Jesus was talking here, and the people who heard him speak, they knew exactly what he was talking about. To be lifted up, that was a a euphemism, that was a phrase that was used to speak of those who were crucified. When the Jews executed people, they cast them down and they stoned them. But when the Romans executed people, they lifted them up on a cross and crucified them. And so Jesus said, when I'm lifted up from the earth, when I die on that cross, then I will draw people to myself. And he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, and they said, well, we've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. So how can you say that the Son of Man must die, must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? And Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. And by the way, who is the light? Jesus had said, I am the light of the world. He said, The light is with you a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. And the one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. Isn't it a sad feeling to be in the dark? Oh, it's a, it's a scary thing to be in the dark. We were talking about that in Bible school this week. I don't like being in a room that's totally dark. Because, and I, it's not that I'm afraid of the dark. It's afraid of what is in the dark that I can't see. And when I was uh, going to the fireman's training school for, uh, to be a volunteer fireman, they put us in a, a house they call the smoke house. And they said, now you're going to wear your masks and your, all your gear and you'll have it on and you have so many minutes of oxygen. And so we're going to put you in the smoke house and you've got to find your way out. And they said, the way you do that is you find a wall and you just move along that wall because doors, exit doors are always in the wall. So so you just follow it along until you find a door and then you can get out. But they said, "Don't, don't walk away from the wall because if you get out in the middle of the room, you'll be totally confused. And what they 
didn't tell us was that we had beepers on our oxygen uh, containers, and then when it starts beeping, that meant that you have two minutes of oxygen left. So they had it arranged so that everybody's oxygen beeper started going off at just about the same time. And when that happened, people began to panic and holler out, I'm running out of oxygen, I'm running out of oxygen. And then you begin to hear people falling and stumbling and as they left the wall and they went trying to find their way and they had bed springs and all kinds of stuff out in the middle of the room and people were falling down and tripping and screaming and crying out, help, help. And I had made my way to a closet I was just following the wall, and I, I was in a closet. And then they turned on all the lights, and there wasn't any smoke in the room at all. It was all a trick. It was all just to teach us something, to follow instructions. And he said, they said, you know, when you're walking in darkness, you better follow the instructions that you've been given but if you do that you'll find your way out there were one or two by the way that did that had found their way out I hadn't quite got that far yet but uh, I thought as I came out of that you know Jesus talks about people who are not Christians they're walking in darkness they live in darkness but he said there is a light and that light is available to everyone who will call on him for light and truth. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going. But while you have the light, he said, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. Do you know what happens to you when you trust in Jesus? When you come to the light, he is the light that lightens those who trust in him. And once we trust in him, then we ourselves are able to share light with other people. One of my favorite children's stories is called The Lightlings by R.C. Sproul. And in it, he talks about how important it is that we come to the light and then we become children of light. And we're able to help others find the light. So I'll just ask you today. You know, as, as we think about Jesus at this particular time in his life, he's, his heart was burdened thinking about the cross. And I, and I know he dreaded the physical pain of it. But, but I really don't think that was what troubled his soul. I think what troubled his soul was knowing that in just a, a day or two, he who had never known sin was going to have all the sin of those that he was dying for laid upon him. And there's no doubt when he talks and when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. What cup is he talking about? He's talking about the cup of the wrath of God poured out for sin and while Jesus was hanging on the cross 
I, I have no doubt that physically he was in horrible pain. But the physical pain he experienced was nothing compared to the fire of the wrath of God that was burning all over him as he was bearing my sin, my punishment, my judgment, my hell for me. And so I come now to his light. I don't want to walk in darkness. I want to walk in the light. He is the light. And he says, now I have died for you. Come to me and I will make you light. I will give you light and then put that light. Share my glory with you. And this last week, there were two or three of the children who showed us definite interest, wanting to pray and put their trust in Jesus. We never, ever, ever put any pressure on any child or any adult either, for that matter, to pray a prayer or say something if God's not prompting them and the Spirit's not leading them. But some, some of the children this week, said, I do want to put my trust in Jesus. And if you're one of those children who did that, and you did genuinely put your trust in Jesus, we'd, we'd love to, to baptize you. If your parents are okay with that. And we're going to sing an invitation hymn in just a minute. And when we sing this hymn, if you're one of those children that prayed to receive Christ this week, and you'd like to come and say, Brother Nick, I want the whole church family to know that I've trusted Jesus. Then you can just come. Come right out from where you're sitting and just come up and let me share it with the congregation. Then we'll talk to you about what steps to take after that. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for the light of Jesus. Lord, I thank you that he did not shrink back and while he was enshrouded in darkness, the whole world covered in darkness, that he took our sin, took our punishment, died in our place, and then rose victoriously three days later so that the light of the world could never, ever be extinguished. And I pray for those who put their trust in Jesus this week, Father, help them make it public to others. And then I pray that you'll give to all of us an opportunity to just say yes to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. O-R-G. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.